Central Illinois misses out on cicada swarm this year. Former Illini standouts inch toward the NBA draft. More on these stories, I'm Sierra Henry. I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. We have a lot of really great, exciting pieces to get through today, so we're just going to jump right into it. Before we begin, though, how is everyone feeling right now, now that we're in phase five? I hope you're all enjoying this summer. It feels good to return to some sense of normalcy, kind of. Uh, That being said, let's check in with some local government news. Kelsey is going to kick us off with a story coming out of Bloomington City Council meeting Monday night. So this week, the Bloomington City Council voted to release portions of four closed session meetings from 2017 in which council members and former Mayor Terry Renner discussed whether to end the Metro Zone agreement with the Town of Normal. Audio recordings and minutes revealed conversations from the 30-year-old tax-sharing taxing agreement with Normal in which elected officials used the cover of the Open Meetings Act to discuss policy moves and discuss how to navigate subsequent public relations and political fallout. Earlier this year, the 4th District Appellate Court in Springfield issued a unanimous decision upholding a previous binding opinion from the Illinois Attorney General that the city violated the Open Meetings Act when the city council convened February 20th, 2017. Bloomington City Government reporter Tim Eggert has the full scoop, including a breakdown of the minutes, audio recordings, and more at panagraph.com. So if you want to know which official said what, be sure to check it out. There you can also find past reports on the issues as well as documents and minutes from the meeting. Normal had a pretty exciting week as well, right Sierra? Yes, that's correct. Last week we didn't get to talk about the issue because we were focusing on the state reopening, but Councilman Stan Nord has raised concerns during the regularly scheduled town council meeting about City Manager Pam Reese's Code of Ethics. It was brought up during the town's expenditure report, which included a roughly $1,200 payment to the Illinois City Managers Association for Reese's membership in the organization. Nord has pointed to three occasions where he said that Reese has not followed the ICMA Code of Ethics, which requires city managers to encourage communication between government officials and residents. Each issue he has raised was refuted by Normal Corporation Counsel Brian Day and Mayor Chris Coos, who has defended Reese, stating that she upholds the highest ethical standards. On Monday, the town was meant to go into closed session to discuss the matter, but instead held a public meeting. During that meeting, six of the seven council members stated their support for Reese, who has worked for the town for 30 years. Some of the council members went as far as saying Nord's comments were slanderous and bullying, and others have said that Nord has not shown any proof of misconduct. There is a lot here, so if you want to read more, check out my reports at pantograph.com. We also have several clips from the meeting to watch. This week, the Mattoon City Council approved a $6.7 million sanitary and storm sewer system project on the north side of town. It is the second phase of the project, which involves a loan agreement with the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency to fund sewer work and to hire Stark Excavating of Bloomington to construct it. As part of the deal, Stark will install 6,600 feet of piping to connect the combined sewer overflow treatment facility on 6th Street in Mattoon to the overflow locations. Construction for the project, which has been planned for 12 years, and is a requirement by the IEPA is set to begin in July with the completion in about a year. A third phase will require right-of-way negotiation on the north side of the city as well as another IEPA loan application. To read more on this uh, project, be sure to check out Rob Stroud's story at jg-tc.com. And some quick state government news, State House reporter Britton Moore has written a few articles this week about the comprehensive clean energy package that lost traction in the Senate. But Governor J.B. Pritzker has said this week that he is confident 
confident that the state is very, very close to closing on a deal, and he remained firm on the closure dates for coal and natural gas plants. The Senate adjourned Wednesday without taking action on legislation over disagreements between organized labor and clean energy advocates on the timeline for decarbonization, and the House remained focused on other issues this week, Brendan wrote. For the full story, find Brendan's report at herald-review.com. And now we have a quick piece of health-related news. Kelsey, tell me what's going on with um, a really rare disease that our reporter Lindsay Jones wrote about. With the state reopening, our health reporter Lindsay Jones has been able to take some time away from COVID coverage. And this week, she has a story about a woman from Niantic with an incredibly rare disease. Fewer than 500,000 Americans have scleroderma, and one of them is 61-year-old Ison Norris. June is Scleroderma Awareness Month, and Norris was able to share part of her story from the unexplainable symptoms she thought were just from the stress of her job as principal at Pershing Early Learning Center in Decatur, to visits with six doctors and losing her ability to walk, and finally, the right diagnosis, seeking treatment, and learning to live with this chronic condition. This is a really interesting story and definitely on a topic not many people know much about, so be sure to head on over to Pan com and read Lindsay's full story, including photos and lots of videos. So now let's move into some education news. What happened in Decatur? Sierra? The Decatur School Board voted to hire Bobby Williams as interim superintendent while the district seeks a permanent replacement for Paul Frigo. Williams is a retiree from the district, having served as a teacher, principal, assistant superintendent, and co-interim superintendent. She is only eligible to work in the interim position for 100 days during the fiscal year. And Frigo announced in March that he would be leaving Decatur for a superintendent job in the St. Louis area. His last day will be on June 30th, and Williams is expected to take over on July 1st. First. Herald and Review reporter Valerie Wells wrote in recent weeks, several Decatur residents told the board that they wanted Assistant Superintendent Jeff Days to be the interim, and concerned community citizens held a news conference to make the same request. But ultimately, the board went with Williams. Valerie has the full story on the interim selection and more on the search for the permanent superintendent, so be sure to check that out at herald-review.com. Bloomington District 87 and McLean County Unified School Boards heard from dozens of citizens in the last two weeks in two extraordinarily long board meetings. The public comments section of these lasted more than two hours at each district as members of the community spoke up, some in support and some in opposition, on issues of masks in schools and recent legislation taken in the General Assembly in regards to sex education and social studies curricula. Anti-mask folks have been appearing at board meetings for months, but the passing of State Senate Bill 818 brought many out to speak on the expansions of sex education in K-12 public schools. House Bill 2170, which we spoke about on the pod months ago, supports a more inclusive social studies curriculum, and some some people, including students, recent grads, and teachers, voice their support of comprehensive social studies that includes the full history of the United States as it pertains to race. However, several members of the community accused the school districts of teaching critical race theory, despite Unit 5 and District 87 administrators explicitly stating that is not taught in their schools. Lenore Sabota and I sat in on these meetings and heard from so many people, so if you want to know more about what was said and any of those topics, be sure to find our stories at panagraph.com. And now I'll jump straight into sports. Uh, two of Illini's star players are making moves in the offseason. On Monday, University of Illinois' former big man Kofi Cockburn received an invitation to participate in the 2021 NBA G League Elite Camp. He was one of 40 prospects heading for the camp this weekend, looking forward to 5-on-5 five five games and strength and agility drills in front of NBA and NBA G League scouts. He was one of 40 prospects heading for the camp this weekend, looking forward 
forward to five on five games, strength and agility drills in front of NBA and M- NBA G League scouts, coaches, and front office executives. Cookburn spent two years f- with the Illini before declaring for the draft, forfeiting his remaining eligibility. Select players from the camp will be chosen to attend the NBA Draft Combine, which can help players' chances in the draft on July 29th. Former Illini teammate and guard Ayo Desunmu has already been selected for the NBA Draft Combine. He was one of 69 players to receive the invite on Tuesday. At the seven-day combine, Dasunmu will participate in shooting, strength, and agility drills, as well as interviews with NBA teams. He's also keeping his eye on the draft in July, where he's projected as a late first-round pick. James Boyd, our Illini reporter for the Herald and Review, is following these players as they aim high in the next several weeks, so be sure to find his reporting at herald-review.com. So what's shaking in uh, public safety news here? Oh, it's interesting, that's for sure. Decatur philanthropist, businessman, and former Macon County Sheriff Howard Buffett this week announced that he is pulling out of the 2022 Macon County Sheriff's race. Buffett, who is 66, said that he is suspending his campaign, citing uncertainty over his eligibility and desire to prevent more instability following the 2018 sheriff's election, which was just resolved a week ago. Um, Buffett has said the sweeping criminal justice reform legislation recently signed by Governor J.B. Pritzker earlier this year has changed eligibility requirements for sheriffs, and it is, quote, open to interpretation on whether he meets the requirements. The law requires sheriffs to complete the minimum standards basic law enforcement officers training course as prescribed by the Illinois Law Enforcement Training Standards Board. To read more about Buffett's campaign efforts, the history of the Macon County Sheriff's race, which is long and interesting, and about recent legislation, find Brennan Moore's story at herald-review.com. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the massive chemical plant fire that last I checked was still burning up in Rockton, Illinois. An explosion at ChemTool Incorporated sparked fires with huge flames, plumes of black smoke filling the air, and sent debris raining down to the ground on Monday morning. Early reports said all of the 50-plus employees who were present at the time were able to evacuate without injury, though at least one firefighter later suffered minor injury. Much of the surrounding area was evacuated, and Governor J.B. Pritzker activated the State Emergency Operations Center to mobilize emergency response. Staffers from the U.S. and Illinois Environmental Protection Agencies were on scene monitoring air quality, which uh, included the plumes of smoke that were so big they interfered with the weather radar readings. As I said, this is ongoing, and fire officials have said it's not clear when the fire will be entirely extinguished, since they don't want to use too much water for fear of uh, toxic runoff and going straight into the water systems. We have state and national coverage of this at all of our three websites, so be sure to check out the stories, photos, and really, really incredible videos at jg-tc.com, herald-review.com, and at panograph.com. Okay, we're going to close out today's episode talking about everyone's favorite topic this time of year, cicadas, and just how long those things have been in the ground, and oh my god, why are there so many of them? Everyone at this point probably knows about the large swarm of cicadas expected to emerge from the ground this summer, brood X, which um, I think X is supposed to be like like the numerical 10, like the Roman numeral 10, but I just say brood eggs, and I think I think everyone else just says brood eggs, so um, that's what they're calling them, um, but they look like normal cicadas to me. Anyways, Mattoon reporter Athena Pyre this week bugged out with local cicada experts who say that while Coles County and surrounding central Illinois areas won't see as many chirping insects this year, they will soon be upon us. Uh, Brood X cicadas are mostly to the east of us, such as Indiana and Ohio, but Illinois won't be spared for long because Brood XIX, which 
<laughs> again, another another Roman numeral. So Brood 19 will be in our area in 2024. And I believe she wrote that those are the 13-year cicadas, which, of course, cicadas, as you may know, are associated with broods or periodicals, typically arriving in 13 and 17-year cycles. Uh, to read more about these fascinating insects, you can check out Athena's story at jg-tc.com, where you can find photos and more. And boy... Cicadas, what a hot topic. <laughs> the, my favorite bugs to find as kids, truly. Well, I, I didn't really find the actual cicadas. I always just found their exoskeletons left on our trees. And, you know, having siblings, that, that leaves things. Uh, you know what happened. Big Brother scared me a lot with cicada shells. But um, then he, eventually he was too afraid to touch them. And we were the weird ones who kept picking them up. Cicadas, hot topic. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had, like, a live cicada land on you, though? Because no. I did, and I almost flung my entire body into a fire. Because it landed on my leg, and it's their legs are kind of, like, weirdly sticky. And it, I could feel it through my jeans. And I just, like, stood up and screamed, of course, because it scared me. It was nighttime, and it scared me. And, um, yeah... But <laughs> they're kind of huge, so like, yeah, it definitely makes sense. It would scare you. Yeah. So, oh my god, you can't have summer without this. Oh my god, one time last year, I believe like a cicada either got into my apartment or it was like right outside of my apartment, and I like there. I, it was like I'm not kidding you. It was 3 a.m. I could not find the cicada. I went on a freaking mission. I was it. I think I. I literally got so frustrated because every time I got close to the cicada, it would stop chirping. So I couldn't find it. But every time I lay down to go to bed, it would start chirping. And it was so loud. So loud. And I was so frustrated that I might have cried myself to sleep and eventually just passed out like i don't think i i don't think i actually fell asleep because by that time it was like 3 a.m and i just like couldn't locate this the cicada it was a nightmare honestly Uh, (laughs) well i don't even know how much how i can top that but um well um in high school was the first time i ever saw a cicada because we had to do a bug project uh, like an insect project, I should say, more specifically. And before that, I had only she- seen the shells they left behind. And not to brag, but my silver-backed cicada was the most beautiful bug of all the bug projects. So, like, sure, they're kind of gross and creepy, but mine was beautiful. That's all I have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, they are kind of, they're not, I mean, I just don't like touching them. Oh, silver-winged, not silver-backed. Oh, silver-winged. <laughs> All right. And that has been Cicada Talk. Back to critical. <laughs> so as always, we're just going to leave it at that. That You can't top cicadas. What are they? Who are they? Where did they come from? Why are they here? Okay, for real this time, if you're enjoying this podcast and are reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, head on over to panagraph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism. Chirp, chirp. I was thinking chirp, chirp, too. (laughs)